Here's another in our podcast series, Doc Talk, presented by St. Luke's Cornwall Hospital. Here's Melanie Cole. Like so many of us, are you worried about heart disease? Well, if you are, you might want to consider a test that could be a precursor that could let you know whether you are at a higher risk of developing coronary artery disease. My guest today is Dr. Jack Ty. He's the medical director at St. Luke's Cornwall Hospital's Cardiovascular Institute. Welcome to the show, Dr. Tai. So let's speak about some of the risk factors for heart disease because we hear about things like smoking and genetics and, you know, all of these kinds of things. But there are other risk factors as well that we might not be aware of, cholesterol, stress. Speak about some of those. Sure. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on the show today. Uh, yes, uh, you know, certainly what we, we, we want to do in uh, finding uh, coronary heart patients is identify those patients that are, that are at risk. And as you point out, there are risk factors that were, are well-recognized. Uh, smoking is a pretty good example of that, diabetes, uh, high blood pressure. These are risk factors that are pretty well-known. There are newer risk factors that are emerging. Uh, we know that cholesterol in and of itself is a risk factor. There are subfractions of, of cholesterol disorders that are also risk factors as well, too, and some inflammatory things that may be going on as well, too. So there are risk factors. Um, but uh, what we're also interested in getting at our patients who have already established coronary artery disease that they may not know. And, and many of our patients, as it turns out, may not have a lot of obvious risk factors for heart disease development and yet may have coronary disease already developing. Uh, so it's those people that we're interested in getting after. You're also looking at inflammatory markers, correct? You're looking at things that are people think inflammation like arthritis, but we're talking different kind of inflammation that right, could put right. somebody at risk that you're looking for talking, as well. Exactly. We're talking about vascular inflammation. And there are, there are markers, and this has been looked at for quite some time now, looking at uh, C-reactive protein, which is a measure of inflammation within the vascular space that, that uh, correlates with coronary events. Um, uh, homocysteine, which is a, uh, which is a, uh, can be elevated and be a marker for inflammation as well, too. So there are other inflammatory cytokines that contribute to the coronary uh, physiology and, uh, or abnormal coronary physiology, at least the coronary artery disease. And certainly those things are active areas of interest. Uh, but this is sort of something that's, that's, uh, that's a sort of a different topic uh, from what we're looking at. We're looking at trying to identify those patients that already have heart disease de- developed. And I guess the easiest way to sort of think about this is, Think about, okay, who, who is the, ask, the at-risk patient? We're pretty good at clinically picking out who are the people who are likely to have heart disease. You know, we have just our eyeballs. You know, we know the risk factors. We know that people with diabetes and people who smoke and are overweight and underactive and have high blood pressure and have high cholesterol, those are, those are pretty high-risk people that are likely to have coronary artery disease. And we see people who are, young, who are fit, active, don't smoke, don't have cholesterol issues, don't have blood pressure issues, they're generally low risk. And we have tools that we can use to measure this. We can use a, a, a risk factor predictor, something called a Framingham Risk Index, which is a marker, sort of a, ta- sort of a tabulated way of, of adding up risk and figuring out, uh, well, what is your relative risk of having a coronary event in the next 10 years? And this can be projected. Uh, so that the high-risk people, the people with lots of risk factors, they're, they're, they have an over 20% chance of having a coronary event in the next 10 years. People who are low-risk have a less than 10% risk of having a coronary event in the next 10 years. The problem is that when you use these tools, they're pretty good at picking out the, the, the high-risk and the low-risk patients, but they're not so good at parsing out those people in between, people who maybe have one or two risk factors for heart disease. They don't have any symptoms. They're pretty active. Um, it's, I sort of think about you know, guys in their mid-40s who do triathlons who have high cholesterol 
And they look at me like, well, why do you want to treat my cholesterol? I'm young. I'm fit. I don't have any other risk factors. I don't smoke. Um, I, I, I don't really need a statin medication. Um, but it turns out that many of those people already have heart disease under development. And if you don't look for it with a test like this, then you don't find it. So let's talk about the test like this, the coronary calcium scoring. What is this test, Dr. Tai? How does it work? In its, in its very basic, uh, uh, the, the, the most basic way to say it, it is basically um, looking at the coronary arteries with x-rays and seeing if coronary calcium is already developing on the arteries of the heart. So it basically identifies coronary disease in its earliest, and actually not earliest, but its earliest identifiable state. Uh, coronary disease starts off really early in our lives. You know, before we're 10, uh, we're already starting to work on coronary plaques. Uh, but those plaques are basically soft. They're made out of cholesterol. Um, they're not visible by any technology. We really can't find those. Um, so when people mature into their, their 40s in men, into their 50s in women, the, cal- the plaques that are under development start to calcify. They start to become so, they've been there so long that they start to actually harden. Um, and that's really the, what atherosclerosis means, it's hardening of the arteries. So we can see that hardening by doing, a, by doing essentially an X-ray. A CAT scan is more or less just a, uh, an X-ray in the round. Okay? So what we can see with this test is we can see the coronary arteries in a stop-motion format laying across the surface of the heart, and we can see if calcium is developing in those arteries, and that's a marker that proves that they, in fact, have plaque. Why wouldn't everybody want this test? Well, I mean, if it can get some of the pretty early stages, is it considered exactly. a great Why would, screening? Why wouldn't seems, everybody want this? Seems like a good thing, right? Well, you know, the problem with the, and, and the reservations are, and I understand the reservations. The reservations are such that basically the argument is this. Well, if you do this test and you find that there's coronary calcium on the arteries of the heart, are you going to increase the amount of downstream testing that takes place after that? Okay, so in other words, um, so they have a positive calcium score. They have coronary arteries. Should we do a stress test? Should we do a catheterization? Should we put in a stent? Uh, you know, in this person who's completely asymptomatic, who has no, who has no problems, you know, very physically fit, active, now it turns out they have coronary disease, how far do we go? Um, and so that's, that's always been the concern, is that this will lead to an increase in downstream testing. It's been studied. You know, it, it, it turns out it does not. We know very well, um, based on how much coronary calcium is there, what the likelihood of an obstructive lesion is. Uh, we know that a small amount of calcium, um, it, 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 there, it, well, I could, I could give you, if I want to break it down into you, you can break it down into four different groups. A calcium score um, of less than 100, 1 to 100, means that there's, there's virtually no one has uh, obstructive stenosis. Um, somewhere where the calcium score is well, 100 to 400, there's about a 4% chance of having an abnormal stress test. If the calcium score is between 400 and 1,000, there's about a 15% chance of having an abnormal stress test. And if it's over 1,000, then the, the risk is higher. It could be approaching 50% of having an abnormal stress test. So you can get an idea, the amount of calcium, the likelihood of having an abnormal stress test. So that does come into play with people then, the additional testing, and is it going to make people concerned then and start to be well, worried? Or will it be a positive thing where then they can start maybe doing some of these lifestyle behavior changes Exactly, might See, change well, this? Our, the worry is that, you know, like, take go back a few years. We used to do uh, PSAs, you know, prostate-specific antigen testing on, on, on pretty much everybody. And that led to a lot of prostate biopsies, a lot of prostatectomies, um, and all the complications that can come out from prostate surgery, and not a life was saved. 
Okay? So, you know, so no change in mortality from prostate cancer despite all this aggressive testing and treatment. Um, and so you, you certainly would see, you know, you could see in calcium scoring, again, a screening test that finds coronary artery disease, is it going to lead to more testing? Is it going to lead to better outcomes? And the problem with calcium scoring is that the outcomes data is not there, okay? So we know that there is evidence of coronary disease, and for many people that's a, that, that can be very helpful as a positive motivator to, to maybe get them to make some lifestyle changes or to begin taking an aspirin, or maybe if they were on the fence about taking that statin, and they're not sure they really want to do that. You know, sometimes knowing that they have coronary artery disease is a, is a motivator to actually undergo treatment. Um, so, but what we don't have is enough data to say that if they do these things, that they're going to do better, okay, that they're going to have mm. less heart attacks, that they're going to survive longer. That's does insurance cover this? Missing. Insurance does not cover this. And that's, re- that's the reason why insurance does not cover this, because there's no outcomes data. Colonoscopy. If you have a colonoscopy, you can show that people are less likely to die of colon cancer. They cover that. You know, calcium scoring, we don't have that kind of data yet. I was going to bring up colonoscopy as a perfect example of some of these kinds of things that do work specifically for exactly. the purpose of screening and even prevention. So, screening, what... testing is, screening testing is a very complicated issue in medicine, you know. I it mean, is. does the screening test really help, you know? So, and this is where mammography and, you know, colonoscopy, there's proven benefit to these tests. Um, but calcium scoring is, is a test that is, yes, yet to have that, uh, have that, uh, that, that data to prove that it, in fact, does improve outcome. So, Dr. Tai, then, what would you like listeners to take away from this, patients to take away if they're going to ask their cardiologist or if they even have seen a cardiologist, if they're going to ask their primary care provider, what about a coronary calcium score? Should I get that? Who would they ask and, and when would they ask that question? I think it's a great question to ask uh, even at the internal medicine at their primary care level. Um, you know, primary care doctors are the are the the doctors where the rubber meets the road. We see patients, you know, in our offices usually already after they've had a coronary event, or they they're already at risk, or they they've already got coronary disease under development. It'd be nice to know, you know, before they get to that point. Um, and this is where the primary care doctor, you know, becomes so valuable. So when they're sitting and having that conversation about, you know, gee, your cholesterol is kind of high. I wonder what should we should we treat this? Um, that's a great time to think about a calcium score. I think uh, there's a little bit of an age disparity between men and women in terms of when coronary calcium develops. Usually in women, it's about 10 years later. So, you know, guys, if you think guys started developing coronary calcification in their in their late 30s, 40s, early 50s, women, you want to frame shift that maybe 40s, 50s, 60s. Um, but, you know, but so, you know, if a calcium score is zero in a lady in her 40s, it might be, that might not be true 10 years later. Well, that's right. And we've learned, later. haven't we, that women exactly. have different signs of heart attack, different symptoms of heart disease, that's correct. all and of those onset, things. You know, exactly. and onset. So, so, and then, uh, you know, this another uh, a corollary of that would be, okay, well, so you're a woman in your 50s, should you take an aspirin every day? Um, you know, if you have uh, high cholesterol or have high blood pressure, should you be on an aspirin? The data would say from the Women's Health Study that, you know, maybe women in their 50s, not so much, uh, that they may be more likely to have an ulcer from the aspirin than they would uh, prevent a heart attack. Interesting. But if, they have, but if they have coronary disease, that's different. You know, those patient, patients do benefit from being on an aspirin. Uh, it's just the problem is that when you treat everybody with the same treatment, a lot of people you're treating, you don't need to treat. Wrap it up. Your best advice about all of this confusing information, but but a really interesting and neat test that people should ask their doctors about. 
Exactly. I think that this is a test that is very helpful in defining what your your personal risk is. We see a lot of patients in the office who come in with chest pain, um, and they're concerned about the chest pain. But what I'm also concerned about is, okay, well, you're 50, you know, you're maybe a little overweight. Do you have heart disease here? I mean, we could do a stress test, and the stress test is normal, and, you know, their chest pain is not their heart, but... But this is, but maybe they already have heart disease, and that's not the cause of their chest pain. But it's something that is going to be a problem for them in the future. Um, so this is something that we want to look at as well, too. So I mean, I think for me, when I see people in the office, um, and I think in, in, internists should think in the same way. Um, we want to understand what maybe is the symptom that brought them to, to our attention, um, but we also want to sort of look deeper and say, okay, well, what is your risk for heart disease? You know, should we know more about your heart health here? And this is a very simple way combined with a good physical examination, a good history, and laboratories uh, to look at their cholesterol, to look at their A1C, for, to see whether they're diabetic and to what extent. Uh, this is a nice part of that workup to uh, set, you know, get an idea of what coronary risk is going forward. Thank you so much, Dr. Tai, for being with us today. What an interesting segment. This is Doc Talk, presented by St. Luke's Cornwall Hospital. For more information, please visit stlukescornwallhospital.org. That's stlukescornwallhospital.org. I'm Melanie Cole. Thanks for listening.